Welcome to an inspiring message from Awaken City Church. For more information about us, visit awakencity.com.au. I'm going to go straight into the Bible this morning. Is that okay? We're going to jump into Mark chapter 4, verse 12, a gospel parable story uh, that we capture here. In fact, it's not a parable. It's an account of what took place. Let me ask you this question as we get started this morning. If Jesus could show up in church today, where would He sit? Somebody said He'd sit next to me. Uh, sure, Andrea. Uh, someone would say, oh, He'd, he'd sit on, on, on the stage and overlook the worship. But actually in this portion of the Scripture, you're going to find out where He would sit. And it's quite stunning. It's quite almost shocking to find out where Jesus sat when he went to church. In Mark chapter 12 and verse 41, we start reading, Jesus sat down near the collection box in the temple and watched as the crowds dropped in their money. How awkward would that be? (laughs) But actually in every service, that's what he does. Many rich people put in large amounts. Then a poor widow came and dropped in two small coins. Then Jesus called his disciples to him and said, I tell you the truth. This poor widow has given more than all the others who are making contributions. For they gave a tiny part of their surplus. But she, poor as she is, has given everything she had to live on. In church life, we often filter what we teach and say about money in church services out of concern that we might offend or upset somebody. Jesus never did that. In fact, He did the opposite. But Jesus, uh, I just brought a friend today for the first time and I've been praying for them for ages to get saved. Jesus would turn around and say, welcome friend. Today, I'm going to speak the truth to anyone who will listen and understand. It's so funny as a preacher and a pastor how often after church someone comes up to you and says, it's like you were just talking directly to me today. Well, I was. I was speaking to everyone in the room. I wasn't smart enough to know that it was tailor-made just for you. Trust me, I'm not that smart. But when gospel truth is spoken, that's what it's like. One message can speak 150 messages if there's 150 people in the room. Out of 39 stories that Jesus spoke in the Gospels, many, in fact, 11 of them, in 11 of them, He used money making money, giving money, stealing money, hoarding money, as a baseline for what He was teaching about the heart attitude towards matters of eternal life and the spirit of generosity. He once told a rich man, rich young ruler, to give all the wealth that he had to the poor so that he would have treasure in heaven. I reckon that would have been an awkward moment. He approved of the widow giving all she had in the offering. He approved her offering and at the same time condemned the large amounts given by the rich. Reportedly, this week, 50% of Australian adults bought a ticket in Thursday night's $120 million Powerball. Those that are laughing are guilty. (laughs) Not really. Actually, for the first time in 25 years, I bought a ticket. And I won $23.10. I brought the ticket with winnings from a lotto ticket given to me on Valentine's Day, where I won $61.30. 
the largest amount I've ever won in 25 years of lotto tickets being gifted to me. My chances of winning were one chance in 134 million, according to Jake Oliver, statistics professor from the University of New South Wales. Please don't assume today that I'm advocating the habit of purchasing lotto tickets, quite the opposite. But I read an article about a couple who won $5.6 million on a lottery ticket and they revealed that their families have cut all contact with them after they refused to share their winnings. The pair, both aged 24, couldn't believe their luck when they hit the jackpot after buying a lottery ticket every month just for fun. After paying off all their debts, including home mortgage, student and car loans, they had $5 million left. In case you don't know, 70% of lottery winners go broke after a few years. Me being in the financial sector, I didn't want to be in the 70% and I also never wanted to have to work a real job again, her husband explained. And so they decided to invest $3 million in a combination of mutual funds, real estate investments, trusts and stocks to set up their future for a very steady, hands-off, extremely low risk, solid approach return. Sounds attractive, doesn't it? With the $2 million left over, we ended up buying a $5 million apartment complex that cash flows and will give a high return with low risk, he explained. When I told my family, I thought they would be excited for me and have how we were financially responsible with the money. But they started talking about uh, a huge family trip, how I was paying for all their debts and more. I explained $5 million a lot, but not enough where I will be giving it away to family. And they got exclamation mark, hashtag, asterisk, exclamation mark. <laughs> they said I wasn't welcomed in this family and that I should never talk to them again. I think I'm in the right because I'm doing what's best for me and my wife. Proverbs 11, 24 says, give freely and become more wealthy. Be stingy and lose everything. Were they being stingy or were they being good stewards? Again, the Scriptures in Isaiah says, generous people plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. Stewardship and generosity go hand in hand. You have to plan to be generous. It just won't happen on its own. The wealthiest people on earth are those who give freely with no strings attached. Psalm 112 verse five, good comes to those who lend money generously and conduct their businesses fairly. I don't know if you've seen it, the number of times it's reported on TV how a billionaire has given a million dollars to X. And when we hear those reports, tabloids and media moguls reported as very generous. Many people agree with that statement with starry-eyed wonder, wow, they gave a million dollars, how generous. But why is that generous? How do you measure generosity? Jesus measured it by what He had left over. He didn't compare it to what others gave. If a billionaire gives one million dollars of his wealth, to a need, 
it represents 0.1 of a percent of his wealth. If the billionaire is a Christian, it means he's given $100 million to his local church as a tithe before he even thinks about being generous. And then he decides after that in his heart what he would give. If he did decide to give 1% to charity, that would be a $10 million gift. That's like someone with a $100,000 income giving $100. It's like a $100,000 income for a household being split up into their tithe of 10,000, maybe a vision building fund or a a relief fund gift of $5,000. It's all about what God has given you to give out of, not compared to what someone else might have. It's interesting that the people that I meet in church that are doing a genuine discipleship journey tend to be more generous than billionaires. I've met pensioners that are more generous than billionaires. Claude, how can you say that? Because I see them take out of their $23,000 a year income, $50 a fortnight and just faithfully give it into the house of God. And when you look at that over the entire year, that's not 0.1% of their income, that's 5% of their total income. That makes them more generous than a billionaire. Are you with me? And so when we look at this whole journey of faith and generosity in Christ, He's looking at what we have, not what we don't have. Actually, in my mind, that young lotto couple were stingy towards their family. I know that sounds harsh, but it's just my opinion, which isn't worth much, I know. But let me give you the rationale behind it. They could have given them something, with a once-off condition. If it took $600,000 to wipe out all of their debts, then why couldn't they take half that amount again and divide it equally to their family members? Or say, hey, yeah, let's do that family trip and here's $20,000 each, pay your own way. We're going on that trip. And when we get there, we're gonna surprise you with a fun event and outing that is your surprise. I know they didn't have to do it. I know some of you don't like me much at all right now for making that statement, but that's okay. In this seat that I sit in, most people don't like you for some period of time in their life. Because when you speak truth, I can remember the first person that engaged in discipleship journey with me and started discipling me and started speaking truth. I can remember one of my responses being far from Christ-like one day. She turned back to me and says, the truth is like an iceberg, cold and clear. I was like, oh. And I found truth to be like that all the way through, haven't you? It would have been a generous plan. But let's forget about our lotto couple. Let's bring it down here on earth with us. Life, prosperity and a generous plan. What does it look like to have a generous plan in your life, have a spirit of generosity pouring out of you? I think the first thing we've got to accept, understand is that we are managers, not owners. Uh, The world around us kind of brings us into this space where we believe we are owners, but actually God says we are stewards managers of the things that He has given to us. In Haggai chapter 2 and verse 8, God says, The silver is mine and the gold is mine, 
says the Lord of heaven's army. The reality is everything that we have in our resource world today is linked back to the silver and gold resource that God says is His. It's one of the greatest lessons a disciple can learn, stewardship, not ownership. Jesus is more than happy for you to prosper financially. You can own 10 homes, but sooner or later, sooner or later, He might ask you to give one or more to the poor or His cause. It's just the way He operates. Gosh, that went down well. The second thing we understand is honouring God with your tithe declares war on greed and lack. It's part of enlisting in God's army. You'll never be greedy for something you are consistently giving away. And God definitely wants to deal with that spirit of greed that often can get into our world. I'm sitting down today so that this could be like a chat in the living room and no one else is listening, apart from the fact that it's live streamed out there on YouTube and Facebook. But I do believe as we enter into probably the most challenging season our state has seen in the last two years, that one of the things the enemy wants to do is bring fear and anxiety to the highest level possible. If you reflect on the last season, two and a half odd years of craziness, the one thing that has constantly come out of this season is fear, isolation and anxiety, a divisive spirit. I said one thing and just went and listed four. Uh, But the two key spirits at work, fear and division. Anxiety division. And as we look into the future, we cannot get to a place where we think that financial world can be separated from it all. Because I guarantee each and every one of you that one of the greatest things that has brought pressure on us, stress on us, is the fact that there's financial uncertainty going on around about us. But God has given you this this promise in every season. He will cause you to hold ground and make ground. God has a plan for you that is generous and prosperous. He's thinking about being generous to you in every phase and every stage of life. The moment you hold back, the moment you shut down the spirit of generosity out of your heart, and it's not just about finances, but it's about a condition of the heart. When God talks to us about being generous, generous, He's talking about every area of our life. Generous in forgiveness, generous in mercy, generous in finances, generous in relationship, generous in the workplace, generous with your words. Don't just give a half-hearted compliment. Give a full-blown generous compliment with detail specific for that person and watch how your world changes. The generous make plans to be generous. And so as we do this moment together today, I wanna bring you to Luke chapter 12, where God calls us all to a life of generosity from teaching time and time again. I I know that you can Google after this and some of you will Google, how many times did Jesus talk about money? Because at one end of the spectrum on there, you'll find mega church guys being torn down because they tell you that Jesus talked about money more than anything else. And on the other side, the spectrum, you'll find God guys saying, no, Jesus didn't. But you know what? If you'll just read your Bible, you will find 39 parables in the Gospel. 
that Jesus spoke. And out of those 39, 11 of them, in 11 of them, Jesus referenced money, but He wasn't always teaching on money. He was using money to teach another principle or truth. And He wasn't ashamed to do it. But everywhere you go in Scriptures where Jesus spoke, He said, you know what? You cannot serve two masters. You'll love one and hate the other. You'll, you'll serve this one and you'll despise the other. That was connected to money. I, I looked through all the Scriptures in my early part of discipleship because money had a hold on me and I didn't like what was being taught by the guy at the front in the pulpit with a Bible and a suit and a tie and telling me how I need to change the way I see my relationship with money. I thought he was kind of going loopy in his head. So I searched the Scriptures for myself. I went through it all. And I've got to tell you, at the end of all that and 30 years down the track, I can, t- I can understand this from Scriptures. God says, if you can keep money out of your heart, He'll make sure it stays in your pocket. The moment you get into a season in your life and you're following Christ where you rely upon money more than the Messiah, you're in trouble. We get to this portion of Scripture in Luke chapter 12 and this is what it reads. Jesus told this story. A rich man had a fertile farm that produced fine crops. Can I say that in today's vernacular? A rich man had a fine business that was producing great profit. He said to himself, what should I do? I don't have room for all my money, all my crops. Then he said, I know, I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. I know I'll begin to diversify my profit and put it into real estate. I'll diversify, that's all folks. I'll diversify my profit and put it into stocks. I'll diversify and put it into bonds. I'll diversify. Then I'll have room enough to store all my wheat and other crops. And I'll sit back and say to myself, my friend, you have enough stored away for years to come. Now take it easy. Eat, drink and be merry. But God said to him, you fool, you will die this very night. Then who will get everything you work for? Yes, A person is a fool to store up earthly wealth but not have a rich relationship with God. Not have a rich relationship with God. What does it mean to have a rich relationship with God? If God says do it, do it. Generosity starts at 11%, somebody once says. They said, if you give to others before you give to God, you're still a thief. If you give to God and then are not able to give to others, you're still blessed and that blessing will empower you to give to others. I like that thought. I grabbed it as one of my own. In this day and age, when so much emphasis is put on financial prosperity, do you realise that up until two and a half years ago, the entire world lived in the first season of history of the most prosperous, the most prosperity across the face of the earth for more than a decade ever in the history of mankind. We lived in that state for more than a decade. Worldwide prosperity was at the highest level before the pandemic hit. I wonder if one of the things that God is doing through this season And I don't believe for a moment that God brought about this pandemic. I don't believe for a moment that He's sanctioning and approving things being done by governments and other things. 
But I do know that God is able to use seasons like this to bring us back to the reality of the values of life where He's saying, you know what, regardless of the level of your worldly prosperity or how good things are, you can never remove yourself from the place where your ultimate trust is in me. You'll never be removed from the responsibility that God has placed on you as a follower of Christ to be generous. Think about this. God says this. He says, goodness and mercy shall follow you all the days of your life. Think about this question before you raise your hand. How many of you would say that you deserve by virtue of your behaviour and actions for goodness and mercy to follow you all the days of your life? Hopefully everyone is too scared to lift their hands because I think lightning bolts still fall from heaven. Jokes, jokes. God is, God is so generous in every season towards you and I. Is that right? And He asks us to receive that generosity and let it flow back out of our lives. As I come into land with this one last thought, I, I, I do need to just make this mention. that When we start looking at biblical prosperity, biblical wealth, which goes beyond what might be in our bank accounts, what assets we might own. When we get to that, we realise that a journey in Christ in church means that sometimes we can be led astray by the culture around about us. But God is calling us to a place where we trust in Him in every season. Can I pray with you? Father, today, as we pause in this moment, Thank You, God, that You're bringing us into a place where we live out our life with a spirit of generosity, that we would be generous at home, in our workplaces and in our family of faith. God, You said blessed are those who are generous because they feed the poor. And so, God, we thank You that You are our source and our supply. You're our provision. And today we're looking to You to cause a spirit of generosity to grow strong in our hearts. We thank You for Your Word that tells us today that if we give freely, we'll become more wealthy. But if we're stingy, we'll lose everything. We thank You that Your Word encourages us, God, telling us that, Father, everything that has been given to us has been given to us as stewards. And You're looking to us to be distribution centres of your goodness. In Jesus' name, the generous plan to do what is generous and they stand firm in their generosity. I was blessed to see a local church put a challenge out to their members this week, actually in this region. And this was the challenge they gave, a simple step toward a journey of generosity. They said, Order at any drive through fast food restaurant. Go up to the window, pay for your food and the car behind you and then drive off and enjoy your meal. I thought, what a great challenge. What a great challenge just to drive up. You know, I can, I can see my analytical brain kicking into gear and going, oh, oh, 
don't know if he's dodgy or not. I know you wouldn't think about it. Uh, I could see my analytical brain going, that was the guy that just bleeped out road rage to me two k's behind. I might have deserved it, but he's a dodgy one. I can see my mind going, oh, why should I do that? But I can also see myself doing it, driving off and enjoying my meal. Just as I resist that selfish spirit and open up my heart to a life of generosity. I don't want to throw out any specific challenges today. I think I've probably already done that. But I do want to land with this portion of Scripture in Ephesians chapter 2. God is so rich in mercy and He loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, He gave us life when He raised Christ from the dead. It is only by God's grace that you have been saved. How good is God? How good is God? Could I ask you to take a moment to close your eyes and think about your own life, both in person and online. I want to finish today's service leading people in a prayer of surrender where you can actually partake in the rich mercy of God. You might be dead in your sins right now, but you can go from death to life by surrender to God with a simple prayer of repentance. You might find yourself in a space right now where living for God is the hardest thing on your agenda. God never designed it to be that way. The Bible says the just shall live by faith. And so it's a by faith commitment to follow Christ that is required so that you can live out a life in the Spirit where He supplies the strength, He supplies the power. So for those in person and online today, if you know God is speaking to you specifically in this moment, I'd ask you to join me with the rest of the congregation in praying this prayer that we're about to pray together out loud. It's all you need to do is agree in your heart, believe in your heart, confess with your mouth. And the Bible says in that moment, God hears those words, receives them and brings you into a place of forgiveness where you can walk in a relationship with God. Clearly the Bible says that sin stands between you and God. But Jesus comes along to wipe out that sin so that you can have a right relationship. So would you prepare yourself now as we're about to pray? Pray this prayer with me and the rest of the believers here and continue to follow God each day in a personal relationship with Him. Are you ready, church? Let's pray. God, today I surrender my heart, my soul to You. I ask You to forgive me of my sins as I place my faith in Jesus for forgiveness. Receive me as Your child. I commit to follow You from this day forward by Your strength and Your power. In Jesus' Name, Amen, Amen, Amen. Yeah, go ahead. Just simply online, would you reach out to us with a message? Put a comment there. Do it by direct message. We'd love to help you further 
if you made one of those decisions today. In room, in a moment, we're going to stand and going to ask my good friend to come down and help me. If you made that decision, if it means something strong to you today, we'd love to pray with you. You can meet them up the back or down the front. Today, could I ask you to stand to your feet and take these last few moments of our time together. Just let the words settle in your heart. I know God is going to speak to you personally about how you can live out of this generous spirit that He's called you to. Right now, in our world, what we need more than ever is hope for the future, hope in the present. And I believe that God gives that to us as we are reminded of His generosity towards us and how in any season we can be generous to others. Can I make this statement? Let me first say goodbye to those online on the broadcast. So good for you to join us. We're gonna sign off now as we continue in room because what I'm about to say may not be appropriate for public broadcast. It'll be clean, it'll be godly, but it's probably just for an in-room experience. So I invite you in room on any Sunday so you can find out what some of that information is about. God bless you. As we come to a close, can I remind us that the ministry of hints is not a principle in Scripture. That sometimes in our journey of faith, for example, make it real, the washing machine blows up and you have nothing in resource reserve to be able to fix the problem yourself. So you could be tempted with the ministry of hints to share with one of your brothers and sisters who might be doing a little bit better than you and just say, you know, I was praying, I've been trusting God for a $1,200 breakthrough uh, so that I could solve this problem. I just wanted to share it with you so that God, if God is speaking to you, that's a really clear example, but we often find ourselves tempted to do it in other ways. The ministry hints is not a principle in Scripture. I tell you what it is, sowing and reaping. Seed time and harvest, but, but pastor, I don't have anything. Well, do you have some spare lemons on the tree? Bless your neighbours with them. Washing machine's broken down, you got two vacuum cleaners, take the best one and give it to someone that needs one. Got more time on your hands than you need? You may not have financial resources, but you have time. Find someone that's in need and help them. Hello, somebody. I, I just want to balance to this thing because I do think clearly, see clearly that Scripture teaches God wants you to prosper in all areas of life. It's okay for you to be a billionaire, but you can't be a billionaire with a worker mentality when it comes to generosity. It's, it, it's, it's vital that as we prosper in God, that God is calling us to a life of generosity, not storing it up. Don't build bigger barns. Build bigger goals in your life of generosity. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message. We hope it has blessed you. If you would like to find out more about Awaken City Church, visit awakencity.com.au.